2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may re receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Last week we were talking about having an eternal perspective and not holding too tightly to this life. Uh, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And we very much look forward to the day when, when we will be raised from the dead into Christ's glorious new kingdom. And I reckon the challenge for us last week was to not hold too tightly to this life and to not just focus on this life, because our hope goes way beyond this and it goes on into eternity. But sometimes, sometimes Christians can go a little bit too far the other way. Some people become so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly use at all. And we can get so fixated on eternity and so fixated on our glorious future that we cut ourselves off from the world. And we act as if this life is all about just passing time waiting in, for, in heaven's waiting room. And we fail to adequately live the lives that God has given us to live today. And that's essentially what Paul is addressing here. Last week he used the analogy of having treasure in jars of clay. Our bodies are fragile, they're temporary. Uh, but the treasure inside of us, the, the glory that God is working inside of us, it will live on. But what does that look like? What happens when we die? And when it comes to the world religions, there's all sorts of perspectives on, on, on what happens at death. Uh, most atheists, of course, believe that, that once you die, that's it. Your consciousness just stops because they don't believe in a spirit and because man in their eyes is merely an accident of time, chance, random physics and random biology. And, and they believe that your consciousness is just a chemical reaction that's happening. And when you die, that chemical reaction stops and you are no more. But then some people believe that when we die, we go into a state of unconscious sleep. Some believe that, that those who when we die, those who have done good stuff in their life, they'll get rewarded with some kind of heaven and the wicked will be punished with some kind of hell. And of course, most people have that belief. 
believe that they themselves are the good people and other people are the wicked people. But then some people believe that, yes, the good will be rewarded, but the wicked will be annihilated. That simply means they'll just be destroyed instantly, maybe painlessly, they'll just simply cease to exist. Then those, there's those strange people who believe in reincarnation. They believe if, if you lived well, you'll come back as a higher life form. If you live poorly, you'll come back as a lower life form. So you better not step on that bug because that could be Uncle Fred that nobody really liked. But their view is that if, if you can finally manage to rid yourself of bad karma, uh, the effect of evil action or evil intent, then you might have a chance to escape this endless cycle of having to bear yet another miserable existence. Because for them, their hope is to be absorbed into some kind of mega spirit in the world. That's what reincarnationists believe. And then there's what the new age type people believe. They reckon that the pinnacle of what they hope to become is a free or a floating spirit, not tied to a body at all. There's all sorts of views, but what do we believe? Well, Paul is very clear here. When we are raised, we will have a body. He talks about our current body as if it's a tent. It's weak. It's temporary. But our resurrection bodies he describes as a building. He says, for we know that if the tent that is our current body, um, that, that if our tent, our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. That's our heavenly body. It's a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. And he's at pains to really make clear here that, hey, you're not going to be naked. You're not going to be a soul without a body. Now, for the Corinthian church, that mightn't be a big issue for us, but for the Corinthian church, this would have been a live issue. It was quite a topic of conversation because the early church were pretty much always plagued by a false teaching called Gnosticism, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Um, now, coming from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge, what it was, was it was a sort of a mixing up of pagan philosophy with Christianity because the pagans and the Gnostics, they had the hope that they could get rid of the body they just saw the body as, well, that's what's holding us back. If we can get rid of the body and just become a free or floating spirit, then we won't have anything holding us back and we'll be like the gods. But Paul is really clear here. That's not the way it's going to be. You won't be naked. Your soul won't be left without a body. Yes, we are going to leave our tent behind, but we're going to move into a building, permanent building. Now, he's not talking about residences here. He's talking about our bodies. Righto. But until that time, we continue to live in the tent. Who wants to live in a tent? Anyone? Roy wants to live in a tent. Jan? You want to live in a tent too? <laughs> Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love camping. And I still do. I still like camping. Who wants to live in a tent on a day like today? 
forecast 45 degrees. How does somebody get to sleep in a tent on a day like today? It's terrible. Tents can be fun when everything going really, really perfect. Easter time, that's a good time to camp. Good time to be in a tent. Not so much now. Um, and, and our temporary bodies, they groan, don't they? We'd be groaning if we were in a tent on a day like today, wouldn't we? Some people would non-stop groan. I'd be looking for the fan for sure. Where, where can I plug the fan in? Well, sorry, no PowerPoints in the tent. Our physical bodies are like that. We, we groan. They're, they're subject to all sorts of burdens. We're subject to physical pain, emotional pain. And, and we've got physical limitations. There's stuff we just can't do. When we're really young, we, there's stuff that we want to be able to do, but we just can't manage to do it yet. And when we get really old, there's stuff that we used to be able to do and we wish we could still do it, but we just can't seem to be able to manage to do it anymore. We get tired. We get worn out. We've, we have our bodies are subject to worries and torments and persecutions and diseases. In our physical lives today, we, we experience sadness and grief. And we get plagued with all sorts of anxieties. And at times, let's be realistic here, at times, life can become so overwhelming, we just want it to end. We just want to be free from this life and be able to go straight to our heavenly dwelling. It's like, get me out of here. I've had enough. And when we're raised to our heavenly bodies, not only are we going to be free from everything that pains us and free from all of the troubles of life, there's another benefit. We're going to be present with the Lord in a whole new way. Paul says, we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, Verse 7, it's one of the best-known Bible verses. We walk by faith, not by sight. And it gets quoted often, doesn't it? We've heard this often. Some people might have a little plaque in their home saying, we walk by faith, not by sight. But I wonder if we realise what sort of faith it's talking about. It's not talking about, I have faith that all is going to go well for me in this life. To walk by faith, not by sight is to live this life, no matter how bad it gets, it's to live this life, it's to, to bear the burdens that we have, it's to experience the pain that we go through in this life because we have a certainty that no matter what happens in this life and no matter how hard it gets, shortly, it might seem like a long time, but it's really a short time, shortly we'll be with Christ and we'll be in our heavenly bodies will be in glory. But even though we walk by faith, and we know this by faith, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not pie in the sky when you die. It's a certainty. It's guaranteed. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life now is that guarantee now people who aren't christians 
they don't get this. How, how can you be so sure? How can you be so certain? I, I, I can't see this. I, I can't touch it. How, how do I know? How do you know? Well, we shouldn't expect them to have the same faith that we do because they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life today that is the guarantee. Lauren, that was a really good introduction this morning. I nearly didn't need to give my message today. That, that was great. And when Lauren was talking about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and any others I might have missed, this is the Holy Spirit at work in our life now. As these fruit of the Spirit grow in our life, where do you think they come from? It's not because we're naturally getting better. It's because God is at work in us. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us now, that shores up our faith. We can see that and we know that the promises of Jesus are sure and true. I, can, I, I know they are because the Spirit is within me. The fact that God's choosing to live in my body now means that I'm not going to be left without a body. Okay. So, if the resurrection life, if our future glory is so wonderful, why wouldn't we just press the skip button to skip over the rest of life and go straight to glory? Why wouldn't we do that? I had a friend who in his younger years, said it rather crashly. He said, I'll save them, you shoot them. Thinking, okay, once somebody's saved, I just go straight to heaven. There's, no, no, there's a need for us to be in this world now. Paul himself here says, though, in verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul would rather it. Paul would rather not be in this life anymore. He would rather go and be with the Lord. And if we have an eternal perspective, we, we would have that same attitude. Yeah, I'd rather be with Jesus than be here. Our faith can be that strong. So why not skip straight to the eternal life bit? I thought the greatest invention ever was when they brought out video recorders that had a skip button and you could skip over all the ads and go straight to the, straight to the next bit of the show. Wouldn't it be good to have that button on life? You can just skip over all the bad bits or just skip over the whole thing and go straight to be with Jesus. But the thing is, God hasn't designed life with a skip button. Are you thankful for the life that God has given you? I hope you are. Because God has given you a life. In God's grace, in God's mercy, he has given you a life and he wants you to live it. And what we do with this life really matters. Verse 9 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, meaning Christ. What's the aim of your life? What's your life's ambition? 
Now, if I was to ask that question, we all pondered that question, we'd, we'd probably get all sorts of answers covering a vast array of spheres. Some would want to tell me about the ambitions that they have for raising their family. Some would want to talk about their ambitions they have for their career or for their working life. Some people would want to talk about the hopes they have for their financial goals. Some people would want to talk about their business opportunities and, and, and the way that they're planning to proceed in business. Some people would want to talk about travel tell us about the places that they love to go to in the world and, and, and the way that they aim to be able to get there and what they're going to do when they do get there. Some of you would want to talk about your farm and some of you might say, well, this is my plan to one day be able to buy a farm. Some of you might be able to say, well, this is, this is how I want to develop a farm. Or some of you might want to be breeding. You might want to be breed sheep or cattle or horses and, and you want to be able to achieve something, to be able to achieve something in the breed that's going to make a difference, not only for yourself, but for, for that breed for, from now on. Some would want to talk about retirement, your ambition for when you get to retire. You might want to retire by the time you get to 60 or whatever. Some would want to talk about their ambition with their hobbies. What? is your ambition. What is the aim of life, of your life? Now, I don't know why so many Christians spend so much time worrying about, oh, what's God's will for my life? And for some people, it's almost like they're paralysed, unable to do anything until they know for sure this is going to be God's will and direction for my life. It's not rocket science, folks. Do you know what God's will is for your life? It's to please him. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever situation in, you're in, God's plan for you is for you to please him. And if you find yourself in a certain situation, you can always pray, Lord, help me to know how I can most please you in the situation that I'm in. Even if you find yourself in a job that you don't enjoy, or if you find yourself in a nasty, nasty drought, where all of your other plans and hopes and dreams have just crumbled, pray, Lord, how can I please you in this situation? In your family, things might be going really well or things might be going pretty tough. Even, either way, you could pray, Lord, how can I most please you in my family and in this situation in my family? And when you find yourself in, in an ethical or a moral dilemma and you don't know what to do, and pray, Lord, help me to please you in this situation that I'm in right now. Help me to make a decision that's going to honour you. And likewise, if you find yourself being richly blessed, you can pray, Lord, how can I use this blessing that you've given me in a way that's going to be pleasing to you? You know, sometimes we, when we get really blessed in life, we sort of think, oh, how can I make this work best for me. But the thing is, whether we're in good times or whether we're being really blessed, our aim 
should be to please Jesus. How we live matters. How much does it matter? Well, let's read verse 10 and see how much it matters. So verse 9 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. How we live matters. And it matters a lot because we are all accountable to Christ. Now, does that mess with your theology? The fact that we are all accountable to Christ. The fact that all of us, even Christians, even disciples of Jesus, will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Does that mess just a little bit with your theology? You see, how we choose to interpret this verse will depend a lot on whether we let the Bible here, the scripture, shape our theology, right? That, that's what we believe about God. Do we let what we read in the Bible shape what we believe about God? Or do we let our theology, what we believe about God, do we let that shape how we understand what we read in the Bible? So let me give you an example. One of the key tenets of the Christian faith is something called justification by faith alone. Right? We believe that no one is good enough to earn their way to heaven. Uh, we believe that, that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, if I was to stand before Jesus on my own merit, he'd weigh up all of the good things that I'd done and he'd weigh up all of the bad things that I'd done and he'd look at me and say, Michael, you're as guilty as hell. Right? And, and he would make a very fair and a very just judgment, Michael Brumpton, on your own merits, what you have done, you are guilty of sin, and I'm sentencing you to an eternity of hell. But the good news is, I'm not expecting that judgment. Whew. Jesus died in our place. Right? So while I am guilty of sin and the wages of sin is death, while I do deserve to die, Jesus did something about that. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. Jesus took my punishment upon himself. And so in this life, I and you, we all have an opportunity to kneel before Jesus and to express our sorrow for our sins and to repent of our sins and to beg forgiveness for what we've done and to surrender our lives to Jesus to follow him because he's our Lord. And he forgives us totally, completely. All of the wrong we've done, he takes away. And so on the day of judgment, those who are in Christ don't have anything to fear. We don't have to have our knees knocking together when we stand before Jesus at that judgment seat. We were the wicked, but we're not the wicked anymore 
because Jesus has given us his righteousness. Justified. That's the legal term that, that Paul uses in Romans. So in Romans chapter 3, it sums this up pretty well. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's a big word, um, by his blood. It simply means a sacrifice of atonement to be received by faith. Right, this is pretty much a key element of the Christian faith. We are not saved by being good because we can never be good enough. We are saved by faith. And so on the day of judgment, we are righteous because our sins have been taken away. Okay. Now, knowing this, how do we make sense of verse 10? For we must all, he's talking about Christians here as well, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, does that mess with your theology a bit? I think I actually have to say it has to. It has to. If we come to this reading with a very firmly fixed theology first, it's what I believe now I'm going to try and I've got to try and make this scripture fit what I believe. We're actually going to have to try and explain it away at some level. And some people do that. Uh, the general pet answer for this is, oh, he's not talking about salvation. This judgment isn't about whether you're saved or not. It's more about being an award ceremony. Okay, so it's about whether you're going to get a big reward or a little reward for the things you've done. And the view is your salvation is assured. This is all about how big a award you get. Maybe. Uh, to me, that's not really how it stacks up. When we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, this isn't a place for an award ceremony. This is a place for guilty or not guilty. To me, that this verse very clearly goes deeper than small reward versus big reward. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. Romans 14 is another place where Paul says that we all have to stand before the judgment seat of God. He says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, this is a picture I'm starting to get here. As disciples of Jesus, yes, we have been set free from sin. But we're not free to go on sinning. We're not free to just go and now do whatever we want to do. Because we have to give an account of ourselves to Jesus. What I see here is an image of approval versus disapproval. 
And whether Jesus is pleased with me or whether he's displeased and disappointed in me. You get this, don't you? Even though we're forgiven, I know sometimes I do things that Jesus would find very disappointing. Even though I'm forgiven, if you knew all the stuff that I've done, you'd be very disappointed in me too. And likewise, sometimes we do things that makes Jesus very happy. But that would be a bit of a dampener, wouldn't it? If for years we've been really looking forward to the return of Jesus and we're really looking forward to the eternal glory and then we come before the judgment seat of Christ and, and Jesus with the sadness in his eyes says, Michael, I've been really disappointed in you. That would take the shine off things a bit for me. Anyway, I don't think that we're meant to get into a great big theological debate over what can be lost and what can be gained. I don't think we're meant to get into a great big debate over whether it's talking about rewards or whether it's talking about Jesus' displeasure or whether it's talking about judgment. Um, I'm going to be really upfront and say the exact meaning of this verse is really hard for me to grasp. It's really hard to nail it down. But the application's really simple. He gives us the application, right? The whole purpose for understanding something is to know how we can apply it in our lives. Now, whether you understand this as a reward or whether you understand this as dis displeasure or whether you understand this as judgment of some kind, the application continues to be the same. Paul gave us the application in verse 9. We make it our aim to please him. There's the application. While we're living in our tents, while we're living in this life, the application's really simple. We make it our aim to please Jesus. Because we all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we make it our aim to please him. Because we will each receive what is due for what we've done in the body, whether it's good or whether it's evil, we make it our aim to please him. The application's simple. Not so easy to do. How would Jesus have us live? We just live to please Jesus. We love him. We serve him. We obey him. We live righteously. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we love others. We live to please Jesus. A number of years ago, Christians all over the place were buying trinkets and T-shirts and all sorts of stuff with something stenciled into them. WWJD. What's that stand for? What would Jesus do? Now, I don't always know. I don't always know what Jesus would do. And I know that I can't always do what Jesus does. I reckon a better motto would have been WWPJ. 
what would please Jesus. And that is a motto that we should be living by while we're waiting for eternity. So let's live our lives to please Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came to give us life and to take away our sins and give us freedom from sin and life everlasting. And Lord, sometimes our minds are so fixated on earthly things, we don't even, it all seems to come about living for ourselves instead of living for you. Sometimes we live with earthly values instead of eternal values. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for that. We ask that you would help us to store up treasure in heaven, that, that we would live how you want us to live today, not fixating ourselves on this life, but, but living for the next. But Lord, by the same token, sometimes we become so heavenly minded we're of no earthly use and we cut ourselves off from this world and, and we don't really think about the ministry and the life that you have for us to live in this life now. Lord, help us to not just treat life as if it's a waiting room for heaven, but help us to live with the purpose that you've given us now that in everything in life, that, that we do this to please you. Now, Lord, this is going to take a change of mind and a change of attitude and a change of life in us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that by your Holy Spirit, that you would develop in us the fruit of your Spirit, that we would live the kinds of lives that you want us to live. Lord, we look forward to the day when we'll be with you in glory, but until that time, help us to please you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.